A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done wait, done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted you as an inheritance for the tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the Great Sea to the West. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their God, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you a great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to fight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn and cling to the remnant of the nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish off from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one of one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land he has given you. You know, this week I got to, to see something I'm looking forward to. I look forward to the Summer Olympics. You know, I'm born and raised in Florida. I love the Summer Olympics. Winter Olympics don't do anything for me. You know, not real familiar with snow and ice. Those of you from the north probably like that. Man, who cares? Summer Olympics, though. Different story. Love it. And this last week or week before last, it's going to be in Paris. They unveiled the, the torch for the 2024 Olympics. And it's beautiful, beautiful torch that is going to be, you know, passed around. And, of course, you know, the whole ceremony. I, I love, I think probably as much as I love the track and field and the different things that take place, in the Summer Olympics. I really enjoy the opening ceremony of the Summer Olympics. And that scene where the, the torch is brought in with the flame and then, you know, something is done in an elaborate way. The most memorable to me is this one. This is the 1996 Olympics. Some of you might remember Janet Evans, the, 
the, the champion swimmer for the Americans, she runs up this massive ramp, and they're waiting who comes out. Nobody knew who was going to be out steps Muhammad Ali. And, you know, he's still tall, and he still looks strong, but we all noticed for the first time how badly he had been afflicted with Parkinson's. But he receives the, the torch from Janet Evans, and uh, this is a reminder for everybody to turn their phones off, okay? He receives the, por- the torch from Janet Evans, and then he goes, and he goes, and you remember, he struggled. And I'm like, oh, is he going to be able to light this thing? But finally, it takes off. Beautiful scene of this passing of the torch from Janet Evans to Muhammad Ali. In, jo- in Joshua 23, we have a passing of the torch. But it's not from the younger champion to the older champion. It's from the older champion, Joshua, to the younger champions, the leaders of the land who had worked with him in the conquest of Israel. In Joshua 23, we are about 25 years later than the events that we looked at last week in Joshua 22. And Joshua knows. He's 110 years old. He knows that he's come to the end of his life, and so he calls the leaders of the nation to his home for a final exhortation. And it's important for us as he lays out for them. It's an important exhortation because he lays out for them why he was an effective leader, why the children of Israel had seen so much success and prosperity and abundance in the previous 30 years. It's important because we get a glimpse into why this man Joshua, after his death, God would give him the title, the servant of the Lord, the same title that he gave to Moses. Very few were honored in this way. His message is needed for us today because it reminds us um, why or how we can be blessed, how we can be prosperous, both as individuals and as a church. In our world today, we are bombarded with techniques and strategies and ideologies and messages, all of which are supposed to guarantee prosperity and abundance and success and the accomplishment of your goals and the life that you want to have, you can get it if you simply do X, Y, and Z. This is given to us through the business world. It's given to us through social media. It's given to us within the world of Christianity through the prosperity gospel. If we will simply do X, Y, and Z, we will be successful, prosperous, and have an abundant life. But Joshua's message to these leaders and to us is very different than what we hear uh, coming at us from our culture, what we see on social media But we can trust his message because his message comes with the authority of God's divinely inspired word. And so in his message, we are given a very practical yet biblical path to successful and abundant living. So let's jump in. The first thing we see is that for an abundant, successful life, it starts by looking back at God's blessings. In verse 3, Joshua begins by reminding them of their past, of what God has done for them, encouraging them to remember what he has done. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Remembering what God has done in our past 
is a common exhortation in the scriptures, especially the book of Psalms. For example, David in chapter 77 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. This idea of remembering is so important in the scriptures. Have you ever thought about why? Why is remembering such a common theme in both Old and New Testament? Well, if you are a sports fan, you probably have seen those games where they mic up the captain of the team or maybe the primary you know, voice of the team. I always enjoy those moments, especially when they're unfiltered. But sometimes when they gather the team together at the very beginning, I've seen this in the Super Bowl, for example, they will you know, pump each other and then the, the guy will inevitably, it seems, say, remember what got us here. Remember what got us here. And he punches. Why does he say that? Why is it important for them to remember what got them there? Well, you see, our natural tendency as human beings, we, we drift to apathy. We drift to laziness. And nothing fosters apathy and a sense of entitlement and self-reliance and self-satisfaction like success does. The more successful you get, the more prosperous, the more life is abundant, Conversely, it's a strong temptation to become more apathetic, to become more proud, to become more self-reliant. So remembering counters our tendency of self-glorification and apathy and self-reliance, which leads to decline. It's interesting that, that, uh, that excuse me, Joshua says this to these men, but their grandchildren... Their great-grandchildren did not remember. And this is what we read of them. The generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. And so as much as Josh, the book of Joshua is a story of the prosperity and the success and the abundance of the children of Israel, Judges is a story of their devastation, of the judgment that they experience because they do not remember the goodness of God. Remembering the goodness of God it has so many benefits to us. It leads to healthy repentance. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus is speaking to the church at Sardis. They had grown apathetic, lukewarm. They had been compromising with the world. And he says to them, Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Remembering the goodness of God encourages us to a life of repentance. It keeps us humble and dependent upon his grace. The psalmist David says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now, some of you look at it and say, wait a second, doesn't it say some trust in chariots and others in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God? That's the way many of us memorized it. But if you look at it carefully, that word trust, it's an, it's an applied word. The New King James and King James translated a little more literally. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. We will remember, remembering God's goodness and trusting in God and his power and his presence and his faithfulness. They are linked together. Remembering keeps us humble. 
and encourages us to rely upon God and his grace. Remembering promotes gratitude and thankfulness, which deepens our relationship with God. Now, any of you who have been in a relationship with someone, uh, dating, marriage, you know the truth of this. Guys, we all know how important it is to remember your wedding anniversary, right? You remember your wedding anniversary. You buy gifts if you're smart and you know what's good for you. You, you know, flowers, cards, something, take your wife out to dinner. All of that is part of remembering the anniversary. And what's the response from your wife or from your husband? Ah, what are you wasting my time for? Of course not. It's not how your wife responds. They respond with gratitude and excitement and joy. And your relationship is stronger just because of that one moment in the year where you remember intentionally why you got married, what it is about the other person that you love and you appreciate. As much as this is true in our marriage, this is true in any other realm of life. People do something for you. Uh, they serve you in some kind way. You remember that. You express thanks and gratitude. And what begins is, a, is the, uh, the fostering of a re deeper relationship. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. When we remember who God is and what he has done for us, this promotes gratitude, which deepens our relationship. It builds deeper love and greater trust. So no wonder David would tell us in Psalm chapter 103, verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There are so many benefits to remembering what the Lord has done. So the first step in, 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 a, in a prosperous, abundant life is to always look back and remember what God has already done for us. Secondly, we live for God according to his word. Verse 6, Joshua says, Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left hand. Does that verse sound familiar? It should. It reminds us of chapter 1, the very first message in this series that started forever ago, right? When, when Joshua is standing on the other side of the Jordan River and Moses has died, and now he is responsible for leading this nation across the Jordan River into the conquering of the promised land. And do you remember Joshua's demeanor? I mean, he was ready. He was up for it, right? He was the great champion. I'm ready to take this on. Let's go. No, he was shaking. He was afraid. And so God comes to him and he tells him, do not be afraid. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he says this to Joshua, which sounds so much like verse 6. Clearly, I think Joshua has these verses in mind when he says this to these leaders. God says to him in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. You hear the... The, the similarity there, right? That you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous 
and then you will have good success. If Joshua were here today, and we were to ask him, what's necessary for us to have an abundant life, a successful life at the end of our journey that has pleased God and honored God, I have no doubt that he would answer, obey what God says in his word. Obey what God says in his word. And to do this, as we see in Joshua 1, we have to read it. We have to study it. We have to meditate upon it. These commands are crucial. Why? Because of what it does in our lives, in our hearts. As we see in, verses, in verse 7, when we meditate upon God's word, we are protected against compromise and ungodly living. He says in verse 6, Read the word, obey it, don't turn aside from the right or the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. As the word of God saturates our minds and our hearts and enables us to think biblically, it gives us a Christian worldview and a and an ethic that honors our Lord Jesus Christ. It affects how we approach everyday matters. Young people, you are bombarded with messages at your school, at the junior high, high school, even the elementary level, at college, through your social media, through virtually, it seems like, every program on Netflix nowadays. You are bombarded with an ungodly, unbiblical sexual ethic. You are being told how to date. You're being told how to view yourself as a sexual being. You are being told how to identify yourself. You are being told how to live your life in relationship to other people in a way that is completely contrary to God's word. How do you know this is true? How do you know that what they are saying is false if you have not saturated your mind with the word of God? And as much as this is true for our children, parents, it's even more true for you because you have the responsibility before God to raise your children as we took vows, saw vows taken this morning and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We cannot raise our children according to the nurture and admonition of the Lord if we do not know his admonitions. And so the great detriment of the modern church and modern Christians, is our simple ignorance of God's word. Because we read a, a two-minute devotional that comes in our email, and we call it a day that we've done our time with God. Church, there's no substitute for meditating, not just reading, but meditating on the word of God so that we can see how it's applied to everyday life, so that when we have to, as Christians, to become like those, those agents in the treasury department who identify the, the, the counterfeit $100 bills. Do you know that those experts, they do not study counterfeit $100 bills. Those experts study authentic, true $100 bills. They are so familiar with what is true and right that when a counterfeit is brought before them, they can immediately spot the error. 
And that's what has to happen in our lives. We have to be so saturated with the truth of God's word that when we are brought, when something is brought before us that is counterfeit and untrue, boom, error. That's contrary to what God's word says. And so parents, you have the responsibility to raise your children in that way. That's what it means to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's why the, we are commanded to put it upon their foreheads, the doorpost, as we go walking through daily life, just inundating our children with the scriptures, saturating their minds. It protects against compromise and ungodly living. Verse 8, it promotes love and loyalty to God, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. That word cling is the same word that we find in Genesis chapter 2. When, it's, when God says to the man, you shall leave your father and mother and you shall cleave to your wife and you will become one flesh. The scriptures help us cleave to God. It promotes a love relationship and loyalty to God. And in verse 9, we see how it positions us to experience the presence and power of God. Church, there's just no substitute for this. So the daily reading, the consistent meditation upon God's word. The word of God reveals to us the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the more the gospel takes root in our hearts and in our minds, the more we will live for Christ in a way that honors him and glorifies him. The more that the word of God takes root in our lives, the more fruit is going to be produced through the indwelling Holy Spirit. So if you want to be successful, prosperous in life, first, it starts by looking back at all the ways God has blessed you and constantly remembering them and bringing them to mind. And then secondly, living, according, living for God according to his word. Thirdly, we look out for God's enemies. You know, Joshua was a a great leader of the Israelites, but he was also a prophet. And in verse 4, verse 7 and 8, he already alludes to something that he's concerned about. And here in verses 12 and 13 and 15 and 16, he pulls no punches. He puts it just out there for everyone to understand what he's saying. That God's people face his discipline and chastisement when they compromise with God's enemies in the culture. He says in verse 12, If you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Let's be candid this morning. How many of you, the reading of those verses, make you a little uncomfortable? Raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, makes you a little... And you know what? As New Testament, New Covenant believers, for some reason, we get really antsy about verses like this. We're not comfortable oftentimes. And so, as a result, verses like this get glossed over and they get explained away as if there's no application for us. But church, remember... God does not change. 
Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For all of eternity, God has been the same God. He does not change. And so it's within the new covenant that we are reminded of this. The author of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 28, reminds us of the holiness and righteousness of God. It hasn't changed under the new covenant. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The salvation that we have received in Christ under the new covenant is supposed to motivate holiness and the rejection of those things in our world which are contrary to God's character and God's word and that would encourage us to dishonor him. The gospel does not give us a license to sin. The gospel does not give us permission to compromise with the world. If anything, it exhorts a stronger ethic and a stronger rejection of those ungodly aspects of our world. When we are tempted to presume upon the grace and the mercy of God and intentionally reject what we know is right, we would do well to remember the words of that great English uh, preacher, Charles Spurgeon, from the 1800s. At one point he said, God will not allow his children to sin successfully. God will not allow his children to sin successfully. And every one of you who are parents, you can immediately identify with that, right? You understand that as parents, we cannot allow our children to sin successfully. We love them too much to do so. And so here in Hebrews chapter 12, we are reminded of the holiness and the righteousness of God. Hebrews chapter 12 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I think some of you know that the opening verses are among my favorite, where we, are, where we read that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us therefore lay aside the sin which so easily besets us. Let us run the race that is set before us. And let us look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What an incredible, what a beautiful summary of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And, and so it's interesting that right on the heels of that statement of the gospel, the next several verses then speak about our struggle with sin and this fallen world. We are told that God does not allow his children to sin successfully. That if you are a child of God, God loves you so much that he will pursue you, he will discipline us, he will chastise us if we stubbornly refuse to repent and we coddle sin in our lives. Because God, he does this, not because he is angry and full of wrath at us, Jesus endured the wrath of God on the cross and the shame of that wrath and completed our redemption and is now set down at the right hand of God. God does not chastise and discipline us because of anger and wrath towards us. He does it out of love, knowing 
that left unchecked, sin in our lives will bring much more devastation and pain than his chastisement ever will. So we are called to follow Christ and to obey God, knowing that Jesus' perfect obedience has wiped out all of the penalties of our disobedience and our sin. His perfect obedience is what encourages us to honor God with our lives, to obey him, to embrace the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, to recognize that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers in heavenly places. This is our life. This is what we are told. So this warning from Joshua, that's an important step. And and it actually sets up what I think is the most important step and message in this path to abundant living that explains why Joshua was so successful in his life. And you see it in verses 11 and 14. He bluntly states it in verse 11. He he gives the, the gospel motivator in verse 14. So remember, you look back. And you remember all of God's blessings. You live for God according to his word. You look out for God's enemies. And then in verse 11, we are told to love God with true allegiance. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. That's the blunt statement. Here it is. If you want to know how to be successful, love the Lord your God. The entire message of the Bible is centered on our hearts not on our external outward behaviors or rituals. It starts with the heart, and when the heart is changed, the outside is changed, and only Christ can change the heart. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. And why should we love the Lord our God? Because you know that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. This is where we really get to the nub of the matter. Joshua knows that the children of Israel are going to be tempted to shift their allegiance from God to the false gods of the surrounding culture. They have not successfully driven out all of the pagan peoples of the lands. They are still seeded among them, and the seeds of their future destruction are still there. If we are going to have an abundant life, it's our, our love and our allegiance belongs to the Lord, and it cannot be given to anyone else or anything else. And this is what he's telling these these. Next leaders, the ones that will be taking up after him, your love, your allegiance, it belongs to God alone. He alone is worthy of your loving allegiance because of how he has been so faithful to you. Only God deserves this, church. Only God deserves your love. Only God deserves your faithfulness. He has been infinitely faithful in his love for us. You know, the abundant life, it doesn't come to us through two or three spiritual victories, but it comes through a lifetime of 
devotion to God that's expressed through obedient worship and service. It's not a quick journey. This lifetime of devotion and service, it's not meant to provoke God to be faithful to us. It's not meant to induce God to love us more. This lifetime of love and devotion is called upon because we already have received God's faithfulness, and he will continue to be faithful to us. It's the right response of those who have already received God's love. If you have experienced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have all the reason you need to be loyal and to love our God. That faithfulness is infinite to us. Only he deserves us. Those of us who know Christ, we've experienced this faithfulness of God in so many ways. We've experienced the truth that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerned to you. He, pro- he was faithful to his promise that he would no longer remember our sins. He was faithful in his promise to send the Messiah to die on the cross for us. He was faithful in his promise to give us every blessing that we need or in this life and the life to come. He was faithful to his promise to make us his sons and daughters, giving us an eternal inheritance. He was faithful in his promise to send the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to empower us to live as we ought to. He will be faithful in his promise to return one day and gather us unto himself. Our God is faithful. He's faithful in his promise to convict us of our sin, and to discipline and chastise us if it's needed because we stubbornly refuse to repent. He's faithful to his promise to pour out his grace upon us day by day in more ways than we can even begin to count. He's faithful. And so it is only right that our loving allegiance belongs only to our Lord, and that we do not give it to anyone else. This week, since we've received all this, as the sons and daughters of God and the brothers of our Lord Jesus Christ, may we respond with love and allegiance to our Lord when we are tempted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. May we say yes to his grace And know to those things which dishonor him. And most importantly, on those times this week when we fail. When we say no to his grace. And we say yes to the temptation. May we remember his faithfulness. His promise. I will never leave you. Nor will I ever forsake you. The good news of the gospel is that we cannot sin our way out of the love of our Savior. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that you have loved us with such a deep, unfathomable love. May you grow within us a spirit of loving allegiance to you. May you give us your mind. May the mind of Christ and dwell us so that when the counterfeit is brought before us, we are quick to reject it and to hold on to what is true. Father, I ask especially 
your blessings upon the moms and dads here who are raising their children, discipling them, help them to faithfully saturate their children's minds and hearts with your word. We know your promise that you are faithful to, that the word will not return void in the lives of our children. And so, Father, would you enable our parents, even this week, to love their children well by discipling them faithfully. Lord, for the one here who has not yet experienced your forgiveness and the grace that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ, would you convict him or her of their need, even this morning, to repent and to embrace him as their Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.